It is the season of Lent. Ash Wednesday was phenomenal. We had uh, almost a packed house on Ash Wednesday as uh, we got in touch with our mortality and talked about what it means to enter into this uh, heavy season of confession, the season of uh, penance and uh, getting at one with God. Uh, that's what Lent is. It's a season that draws us closer to, to the Lord. And as I said that night, last Wednesday, we can't get to the celebration of the uh, tomb of Easter until we walk with Jesus that walkway through the cross. And that cross is the symbol uh, that brings us and ties us together. Well, we're in a, a new series. It's our Lenten series. It's called Collide. And what does it mean, collide? We're going to take some of the teachings of Jesus out of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to then have those collide with some of the things that we think about, uh, some of the ways in which maybe we believe what the Bible says. And maybe what Jesus is teaching us is different than what we've always thought. So it's going to cause us to collide with some preconceived notions that we've had. And as you think about that, um, I, I want you to wrestle over the next several weeks as we go with this. Pray for me, pray for Pastor Pam as we uh, prepare these uh, messages of Lent coming into uh, Holy Week and then into Easter Sunday as we begin to welcome more and more uh, sojourners of the faith, people who are um, just seeking and reaching out for the love of Jesus. We want to make sure that especially in this season, if not all seasons, that we welcome people um, who are scratching the surface, wanting to know more about this God that created them and share with them the love of Jesus. Are you with me on that? Amen. Um, so let's be welcoming as, uh, as people who are new sitting next to you. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about uh, words this morning. So the words of hope, the words of uh, peace and love, do we believe that those words of hope, peace, and love that were spoken by Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount, do we believe that they are relevant still today? And I think more importantly, as we think about that, how did Jesus remain consistent in not just um, uh, preaching those words, but, but how did Jesus remain consistent in living into those particular words? You know, one powerful thing that, uh, the many powerful things that Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, he said these words, love your enemies, Love your enemies. So we're going to take that phrase, love your enemies, and we're going to have that collide with where we are in life and, and how we handle and how we treat those particular words, love your enemies. Jesus spoke those words, love your enemies, and, and ultimately he spoke some additional words as he was uh, betrayed by his good friend Judas uh, the night before he went to the cross. So what happens when Jesus... And these teachings of Jesus collide within us. What does it do to us? And from where do we go from there? Speaking of, uh, speaking of that, let me ask you this morning, what are some things that, that you hate? And maybe that's a playful question. What is it that you hate? Um, how about Brussels sprouts? Yeah, now, I, I like Brussels sprouts, but some, some people just, just literally hate those. Does anybody hate those robocalls during the political season? Oh, yeah, so everybody's like, oh, yeah, I can just close it up now and we can go home. Yeah, we've talked about hey, um, How about uh, when you open a bag of chips and it's like 80% air? Does anybody, <laughs> it happens to you, doesn't it, Aaron? <laughs> so I, I, I hate that. Uh, uh, tax season, do you hate tax season? Now, maybe if you work in that industry, you, you love that because it's kind of the, the feast of, of all. Uh, pigeons, I, I, I'm not real fond of them. Uh, especially with the gifts that they leave. 
Uh, so, so those are some things that are with that. But, but that being said, so we've kind of talked about some playful things. But I want you to think about, is there someone that you hate? Is there someone that you hate? Now, when you, when you answer that question, uh, know that you're only answering it in your heart. So be truthful for that question, because I think it's really important this morning as we talk about loving our enemies, uh, those that, that, that we just can't get along with, I think it's really important that we are honest with, are there persons or is there a person in our life um, that we hate? So when you think of someone who's hurtful, when you think of someone who's harmful, um, someone that you have those hateful feelings toward, I want you to be thinking of that individual or those individuals as we're sharing this morning. And my hope and prayer is that, that God will help uh, bring in and heal that. Jesus says to us in Matthew 5 that we're not to hate other people. In fact, he says that we are to love them. We are not to hate, but we are to love. I, I heard a story about a pastor who was uh, preaching on this text out of Matthew 5. And, and he asked his congregation, he said, let me take a survey. He said, how many of you um, have enemies? And practically everyone in the church raised their hand. And then he looked around, he said, is there anyone here this morning who has no enemies at all? And in the very back, this elderly gentleman raised his hand. And the pastor looked back and said, you, sir, how is it that you don't have any enemies? You need to be revered today. And the old man stood up and said, I outlived them all. <laughs> Well, Scripture takes on the idea of hating uh, very seriously, so much that the word hate or hating or any kind of derivative of the word hate actually appears uh, 183 times in Scripture. If you don't believe me, go research it and count it, and you'll see. So 183 times. Um, it's listed by the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 as one of the works of the flesh, and Paul says we need to be very careful about these works of the flesh. Um, and we even see reference to it even back in the Old Testament in Leviticus 19, where God says these words, you shall not hate your brother, you shall not hate your sister in your heart. So we know that this word hate, and, and, uh, as it conflates into enemies and all, that this is some really serious stuff. And no wonder Jesus wanted to speak about that as he had 25,000 plus people gathered that day on the Sermon on the Mount. Hatred takes on many forms in Scripture, from uh, mocking someone to uh, yelling at them to, to using foul language toward them. Hate even takes on in Scripture uh, the words of persecution, um, hatred is even when we go out of our way to avoid one another. So if there's somebody that, that you don't like and when you see them, you just want to turn and walk the other way, that's a form of hatred according to what the scriptures tell us because you're not even willing to recognize that the person is a child of God. There are two forms of hatred. Um, there are the forms of hatred, one that's directed to us, so it's directed to you as a believer, and you're hated because of who you believe in. You believe in Jesus, and there are people in this world who will hate you because of that. And the second form of hate is the hate that comes from us. So not only are we hated as believers, but as believers, we become sinful when we allow hate to move within us. So the first kind of hate, because of what we believe in, we can't avoid that. The minute we accept and love Jesus Christ, there will be judgments from those in the world that will just hate us because of what we represent. The first one is, is what I call an occupational hazard of the believer, that because we believe. But the second one when we hate others as believers, when we hate others, to me, that's a hypocrisy. 
It's a hypocrisy against the faith that, that we say that we want to live into. It shows personal selfishness. It shows um, a selfishness in some great ways. So we need to really work through this uh, when we begin to hate others. So I want to go to the first one, and, and, um, and that is uh, when others hate you because of what you believe. We're going to find that in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. So it's a Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is telling uh, the disciples some really important stuff, and he's basically saying to them this, this whole um, understanding of hate and enemies and all of that, and it's going to begin colliding with uh, the people that are listening to this. So on hatred directed to you, here's what Jesus says. He says, you're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and also its companion, hate your enemy. That's uh, kind of the old Hammurabi's code, uh, which really got blown out of proportion. It, usually, it was a justice system for the municipalities, but then individuals started adopting that, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Um, I'm challenging that, Jesus, and I'm telling you uh, to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you. So Jesus is saying, <clears throat> let your enemy bring out the best in you, not the worst. And when someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer, for then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. So when someone hates you, you shouldn't like, you know, rail back at them. Jesus says you should be praying for them. Um, he says, this is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone regardless. Listen to that. So God brings the sunrise uh, up in everyone's life. God brings the rain to everyone. God doesn't judge who's going to get sunlight and who's not, who's going to get rain and who doesn't. God just does that out of his love. God says the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. <clears throat> if you all do, if, if all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody could do that. If you simply say hello to those who, who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-in-the-mill sinner does that. But in a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. You're kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously, live graciously toward others the way that God uh, lives toward you. Now imagine listening to Jesus say these words. And all of a sudden, you see how this kind of collides? Because some of this stuff that he's talking about is totally different than the way we want to live our life. You know, somebody hates us, we want to hate them back. Somebody does bad to us, somebody's our enemy, then we're going to be their enemy too. But Jesus says you need to pray for your enemies. Jesus says you need to give them gifts. Jesus says you need to love your enemies. And some, some powerful things here. So, so what does this word um, enemy translate to? Well, our friend Webster Webster says it this way. Webster says that an enemy is someone who is actively opposed or hostile towards someone or something. So if you're opposed to someone or hostile to someone, Webster would say that that would be an enemy that you have in your life. If anyone is hostile toward you, if anyone opposes you, the definition would be that they are your enemy. So the question is, do any of us have those kind of people in our life? Do we know those kind of people? And, and you're right, we do, we have those. Jesus said even your enemies can be those in your own household. You know, houses that are divided because we are in conflict. Houses that are divided because we, we don't love one another, but, but because we have hatred and because we see ourselves as enemies against one another. There's one thing that Jesus promised over and over again to all believers. Jesus said, you will 
uh, you will engage in some kind of persecution against you. Someone will engage in persecution against you because of what you believe. Because we believe in Christ, our life is never guaranteed to be all roses. We will have challenges, we will have tribulations, we will have difficulties, we will have disagreements because of who and what we represent. And the world isn't ready for that or the world might fight us for that. He says it's going to happen. The whole world is going to hate you because you love me. So think about this. Does Jesus call us to love the people that we know that will hate us? That's exactly what he's saying here in the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's exactly that teaching. Jesus says, love your enemies, do good for those, pray for them, and pray for those who persecute against you. So that kind of stuff, that kind of stuff really pushes it out there with us, doesn't it? Because when we start wrestling with this, we start finding out how difficult this really is. So it pushes us out there into the spotlight and we become uncomfortable because this kind of teaching pushes us out in the spotlight. It's like the cannibal who was staring at the missionary, and the missionary asked, what are you looking at? And the cannibal said, relax, I'm just the food inspector. <laughs> you know, we feel like we're under the spotlight, and people are looking at us because of that. We sometimes feel that people just want to gobble us up because they don't like us and they, they hate us out of that. But we need to understand that, that when we respond to people that hate us, we need to take this action. We need to respond in love because we represent a God who loves. So how you respond to others who demonstrate hate toward you is a representation of the God that you love, the God that you serve, the God that you say that you believe in. That's the response that's meted out for that. Jesus says, the old law says, love your friend, hate your enemies. But he says, I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. And this is what's colliding, colliding with the emotions and the feelings that we have in our lives. He says, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those um, who specifically use you and persecute you. Pray for them. Bless those who persecute you means don't retaliate. I know that when someone is, is um, persecuting us, we, we want to lob out something that's like a juicy comeback. And listen, I do that too. Someone lobs one at me, boy, I'm sitting there thinking about what, how am I going to fire back something twice as potent as what they said to me. But the proverb says a gentle response diffuses anger, but a sharp tongue tempers or kindles a temper fire. So we need to take a step back, the choice is ours. Do we want the wrath of the situation to increase by stoking the anger of someone else, by firing back at them? Or do we want through our softness and through our gentleness and through our, um, our, our lovingness, do we, do we want that to diffuse the situation that's before us? The second thing that Jesus says is he says, do good to those who hate you. Now think about that. Think about um, persons that, that, that don't like you, people that are against you, that one that's antagonistic towards you. You know, these are people that are around us in our homes. These are people that are around us in our workplaces, on the golf courses. They're the people that are in public, even people in our own church. And they're the people that just constantly are nya, 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 nya in your ear, okay? And they're, they're like saying all these things. What are we to do? We're, we're to do good. In fact, Jesus says, give them a gift. Now you might think about, what? Give them a gift? I'm supposed to buy someone who's, a, who's my enemy a gift? How am I supposed to do that? Are you nuts? 
You know, I gave that advice to a, a woman in our church one time, and, and she said that she had someone in her office that constantly was battering and belittling and, and berating and, and belittling and just shouting and just constantly just minimizing her and all of that kind of stuff. And I said, then why don't you try giving her a gift? And when you give her a gift, add a little note that says, hey, I think we got off on the wrong foot together. Can we restart this relationship? And she did that. And, and the woman who, who had been so ugly and mean and, and just um, espoused so much uh, hatred toward her, she was able to break that woman's heart and she was able to live into the Proverb 18 that a gift opens the way and it ushers in the giver into the presence of the great. She was able to break that. The final thing that Jesus says is we're to pray for our enemies. We're to pray for those who hate, who hate us. He says pray for those who specifically use you and those who specifically persecute you. Here's a very important lesson that I've learned. It's hard to keep someone on your hit list when you have them on your prayer list. When you're praying for somebody, when you're really praying for them, it's hard to want to be getting a vengeance and to get, be getting back at them. Uh, you may not change the person as you're praying for them. And sometimes we've got prayer all messed up because when we pray, most of us would say that when we're praying for something, Lord, change that person. Are you with me? Lord, make that person think differently. Lord, make that person come to me and apologize. Lord, Lord, make that person, <clears throat> you know, we, we, we kind of mess up our prayer. And really what the prayer does is God will work in the midst of changing that person, but God's more interested in, in, in changing you as the one who's praying. And when we pray that, that our heart be changed toward that person who is angry toward us, when we pray that our heart would be softened toward that person that we know that hates us, we see the change that happens in us. And God will work a huge change to affect that in all of us. If you don't do this, if you don't love, if you don't forgive, if you don't bless your enemies, if you don't pray for them, you'll find that, that you have an enemy inside of you that's far bigger than the one on the outside. And that enemy that's stuffed down in you will raise its ugly head, and it will constantly be chafing away at your heart. It will be doing surgical um, uh, knife cuts all over your body and down to the quicks of your heart, and it will simply tear you up because when, when we're not willing to do that, when we're not willing to pray for our enemies, when we're not willing to forgive our enemies, then bitterness develops in our hearts. When bitterness develops in our hearts, then anger goes, and, and all of a sudden, we become a horrible person. And that which is on the inside is far greater than that is on the outside. Love always gives you away. It, it lets people know. It tells people that you're related to God. When, when you give love away, people then know something about the God that you love. They then know a little bit about the faith that you confess because of the way that you do this. Jesus said that, that when, you, when you love, everyone will know that you're my disciple. Everyone will know if, you, if you'll just love. So the world sees the image of Jesus Christ through the actions that we give Listen, I, you know, I, I know this isn't new information. I know that I'm Captain Obvious on all this. And, but, the, but the point is that, that we need to kind of be reminded of these things, don't we? That sometimes uh, where we're at and the challenge that we're going through or the pain that we're experiencing, it just blows our mind. And we forget what Jesus is saying to us in this very important part on the Sermon of the Mount. Um, so, so let's flip now over to, to Luke chapter 9. And this is what happens when you develop an attitude um, toward others that isn't healthy, when, when hatred is developed in you, 
when I develop hatred in me. Luke chapter 9. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. I preached on this uh, topic uh, about uh, 10 months ago, how Jesus resolutely looked out over Jerusalem, which meant that he was totally focused, that nothing was changing his mind, that nothing was gonna stand in his way. He knew, with resolution, he knew resolutely that that's exactly where he needed to go. So we began to see, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village. And, and to, they went there to get things ready for him. But the people there, the Samaritans, <clears throat> did not welcome Jesus because he was heading for Jerusalem. Jesus was laser focused on the cross. So he's coming through Samaria and he's focusing on Jerusalem. And the persons uh, were not happy, the Samaritans were not happy because they thought Jesus was ignoring them. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and he rebuked them. So here, you know, um, these two disciples, two of Jesus' inner circle, James and John, it's not Thomas, it's not Judas Iscariot, it's James and John, uh, James and John, John the apostle of love, they turn to Jesus and say, should we nuke this village in Jesus' name? And Jesus rebukes him because of this. So these two men, instead of being men of love, walking with Jesus, they want to be like the Galilean mafia, and they want to just take out everything that's here. Now, if, you, if you've um, never known this, maybe you do, but these two disciples had a nickname. Some of you know that nickname. If you go back into Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, it gives a listing of the disciples. And James and John had a nickname called Sons of what? Sons of Thunder. And this is why they were given that name, because they had tempers. They didn't care about what was going on. They just spoke what was out there. Let's, let's nuke this village. Let's nuke these Samaritans in Jesus' name. So you need to know a little bit of the background as to why they said this. And, and the relationship uh, between the Samaritans and the Jews was not a really good relationship at all. In fact, it goes all the way back into the days of King Solomon. And then all of a sudden, Jeroboam, he, uh, he builds an altar uh, in Samaria, and we began to start seeing lots of things happening, and, and then all of a sudden we start seeing struggles. So next thing you know, there's some intermarrying that's going on between the Jews, the Samaritans, and other cultures, which means now they're adopting false idol worship. They're adopting the practices of others who weren't um, followers of Yahweh, and it becomes this huge mess, and all of a sudden, this huge divide breaks out between the Jews and the Samaritans. And when the Jews returned to Jerusalem to build a temple, the Samaritans said, can we help you rebuild the temple? And the Jews said, we don't want your help. And that was another paper cut that led to a huge destruction in the relationship between these two. So the Samaritans, they build a rival temple on Mount Gerizim. And there they hold and build a temple and they have worship. And when Jesus is walking through Samaria, resolutely looking upon Jerusalem, they have these high hopes that Jesus will worship in their temple on Mount Gerizim. And Jesus doesn't. He's looking at the cross. He's going to Jerusalem and they get upset about that. And they say, he's no different than any other Jew who thinks that only proper worship can be done in Jerusalem. And the disciples hear this. And they get angry at the Samaritans. And then they say, let's just kill them all. But how does Jesus handle this? 
Jesus rebukes him. A couple, couple of things that we need to know um, when it comes to, to when we hate others and when someone points that out to us. The first one is this, that, that your words must be rebuked. Your words must be rebuked. It says that when Jesus heard James and John say this, let's go and just rain down the fire and, and destroy this village, Jesus rebukes him. Even though Samaritan worship was not worshiping uh, God that, that we know of, even though it was false worship, but the disciples were taking on a destructive behavior that was meant to destroy people that God loved. Even though they worshiped differently, even though they didn't know the God that we know, God still loved and claimed the Samaritans. And Jesus sees this and he says, it's not okay. I'm rebuking you for saying what you did because those people, those Samaritans, are part of God's plan. That's the second one. Your, your attitude has to be checked. Jesus said, you don't know which manner, manner of the spirit that, that you're of here. Now let me unpack this. You know, what he's saying is to, to James and John, you have a great memory. In fact, you're thinking back into 2 Kings when Elijah called down the flames from heaven and destroyed all those Baal priests and all the Baal worship and God, it, God conquered everything that day. You've got a great memory. You remember all of that. In fact, you also remember the fact that, that, that we have strained relationships between Samaritans and Jews and, and, and you've got all of this in your head. You've got scripture in your head. But do you have God in your heart, Jesus is saying to them. Can that be said of us? Do we have so much scripture in our head? We know the Bible, we can quote it, we can point people to where it is without a concordance. We can say this and we can say that. But is there love in our heart that accompanies the knowledge of the Bible that we feel we have? This is what was happening in those moments with James and John, with Jesus that very day. To Jesus, attitude is more important than aptitude. Listen, your attitude is the rudder. It's the rudder of your conscience. Your attitude is what is part of your life. Your attitude is what sets you up. I'm convinced of all the things in life, 10% of what happens is, is things that what happen. 90% is our attitude of how we react when something happens. And Jesus says that it is the right attitude we must have, especially when dealing with people that we, that we hate. He says your prejudice needs to be surrendered to God. At some point in time, what, whatever your prejudice is, whatever my prejudice is, and folks, we're all prejudiced. Let's just get that out in the open now. We all have prejudices. We might say, well, I'm not prejudiced. You're prejudiced. Because there's something we all have a prejudice is. We just might have different prejudices. But it needs to be surrendered to God. It has to be let go to, for God's purpose. We go back to James and John. They're blindsided by their prejudice. All they see is this hate toward the Samaritan people. They call upon the fire or want to call upon the fire of heaven to destroy them. And Jesus rebukes that. Jesus said, you are not going to do that because... God's plan is what to the Samaritans? To save them. God's plan was to save. So God's purposes for people always trumps your prejudice towards others. Prejudice is the seedbed of hatred. When we meet someone, we're always sizing them up. Are they white? Are they black? Are they Latino? 
Are they mixed race? Are they male or are they female? What kind of clothes do they wear? Are they high end or are they low end? Are they clean or are they not clean? Are they gay or are they straight? We size people up whenever we meet them all the time. We make assessments. But what if we stripped all of that away? What if instead of making assessments on one another, we saw each other as real people? Better yet, we saw each other as children of God created with specific purpose and that the prejudices that we have would go away. That no longer would we look at each other differently, but we would look at each other collectively as one and as the whole. You see, some really important questions need to be asked when dealing with our prejudices. Are my prejudices standing in the way of God's purpose for someone else? Are my words standing in the way of God's purposes for someone else? Is my attitude standing in the way of God's purpose for someone else? It's interesting that James and John, they make this suggestion to wipe out a nation of people and Jesus rebukes them. But here's the beautiful part of this story. When we flip over to Acts chapter eight, we find out that Peter and John are in Samaria and they're preaching the gospel and a huge revival breaks out. That same John who was willing to just say, nuke all these people and just wipe them out, now is working with Peter on a revival. Had John and, J uh, had, had John and James brought down that fire upon that nation, there would have been no people to save. And Jesus said, the time has come. Let me end with Matthew 26, because this is really important. At Matthew 26, we find Jesus sitting at a Passover meal with his disciples. Jesus is there in the upper room with a Passover the night of his betrayal, and he's there with the people that he loves the most. And as he's there with all of these, Jesus knows that, that Judas will deceive him. Jesus knows that Judas is going to sell him out for a few silver coins. Jesus is aware of all of this. And these words that John records, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. Jesus is speaking. The son of man will go just as it is written about him. Jesus was thinking about the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. But woe to the man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had never been born. What Jesus is saying here is that, that it, it's really more about what Judas was gonna think of himself than what Jesus was gonna think of Judas. As we read the story, we find out that, that because of what Judas did, Judas could never forgive himself. And he ended up hanging himself, returning the money that was given to him because the anguish of what he had done was so heavy. So it was really more on Judas than it was about Jesus with Judas. But Jesus' words to love our enemies, it collides with the reality of his own betrayal he stretched out his arms and he, he spoke those last words just as easily he was saying, Father, forgive Judas for what he has done. But the pain that Jesus felt at that moment wasn't the anger in his heart. The pain that he felt was from the piercings of the nails in his hands. The piercings leading to the forgiveness of all, even the likes of Judas. You see, you may be hated. In fact, Jesus says you will be hated. 
But don't be a hater. Because if you are, you're gonna find a bigger enemy inside of you than the one that you're trying to battle on the outside. And that enemy will destroy you. It will take you over. Others will indeed hate you, but they're, but they're not gonna win unless you let them win. And that's why Jesus says pray for them. That's why he says shower them with gifts. Pray for them, love on them. Pray over and watch and see how God not only changes their heart, but more importantly, yours. Jesus said, love your enemies. Love those who hate you. Clyde.